The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. Hello, Pace Liners. Michael Houghton here, live from Los Angeles. And folks, you're not going to believe this. That is a bona fide thunderstorm here on Los Angeles. Uh, we've been getting nailed by rain the last couple of days. And you know LA, when it rains here, things really get messy. And another thing about Los Angeles is, you know, they don't sell a lot of bike fenders around these parts, because frankly, we just don't, we can't justify it. We don't get this stuff. So the fact of the matter is, not a lot of riding going on. Not when there's a river running down my street right now. So, enjoy this show. Enjoy this edition of The Pace Line, while I enjoy this lovely shower. on two wheels it's patrick hottie and fatty hi guys hey guys so this is show number 98 of the official podcast of red kite prayer you can find us of course on red kite prayer but also apple podcasts itunes uh soundcloud uh numerous other places any place we can't find us yeah cg not walmart hard to find on audio cassette (laughs) (laughs) or eight track uh, but that's coming soon. So it's winter time, fellas, uh, or at least for some of us, uh, more so than others. Um, I've been having to deal with some colder temperatures and some rain. Uh, Hadi, how's it been down where you are? Uh, you know, we jumped right out of fire season. I mean, you know, the whole area practically was, at least for the folks on the outside looking in, it looked like the whole area was on fire. We had the Thomas Fire up in Ventura County. There was one up in Bel Air. We had one down in the Corona area for a while, one up in the San Fernando Valley. And just like that, I mean, in a matter of a week and a half, we went to rain, deluge, Noah's Ark's conditions, and we've just come out of massive mudslides and debris flow and maybe a a tragedy larger than we saw during the fires as far as loss of life and injury. It has been crazy around here. So, um, but you know, SoCal, I mean, things change so quickly. We went from uh, walking around with umbrellas and slickers on to a a sunny day uh, in a matter of 12 hours. So yeah, it's been, you know, it's been kind of nutty down here. Right, right. Uh, but you're safe, right? Oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. You're in a relatively flat area. Flat? I <laughs> I try not to live uh, yeah, near the, the wildland areas or, or near drainage ditches or creeks or anything that can uh, <laughs> take out a home or a garage full of bikes. Yeah. Right, right. Not not one for drama, <laughs> yes. Uh, Fatty, what about you? Uh, how are things in lovely Utah? Oh, you know me. I'll be happy to tell you another 45-minute story about my biking <laughs> if you'd like. Holy hell, did a single person listen to that entire last episode? I, I, I think so, yes. <laughs> I, I did. Millions of people did. Yes, Fatty, tell, give us 45 minutes about your weekend. <laughs> um, I'm going back to St. George for whatever it's worth this next weekend. Um, and we'll be doing another three-day weekend of mountain biking and road biking and i'm stoked um it's rainy here in utah which is weird because it's mid-january and it should be snowing Mm -hmm. but it's raining so it's kind of gross to be honest Mm. wow okay yeah well it's been uh some rainy here and definitely cooler although it was colder before it got rainy so 
uh, I'm disinclined to complain, but um, Fatty, you brought up weather for our latest VIQ. Well, you can never go wrong with the weather. Um, this <laughs> is this week's very important question. Which of the following conditions are the absolute worst for riding your bike? And on the East Coast, they're seeing most of these with a little, you know, times 10, right? Yeah. Hard crosswind, cold rain, slushy road, and then this isn't so bad types. Meaning, for this fourth one, you have to understand that I'm compressing into the very few characters you get for each of the options in a Twitter poll, right? This isn't so bad types are the types of people who, when you're riding in a crosswind or in cold rain or in a slushy road, say, this isn't so bad. And you want to throttle them, or at least I do, which is a failing of mine because I should celebrate those people and not throttle them. But you want to hear how the how the stats are for this? I think they're pretty interesting. Yeah. 247 people have voted so far, and it is almost split evenly between hard crosswind, cold rain, and slushy road, with cold rain edging out the other two, but within pretty close to a you know, an error, you know, a rounding error here. Mm -hmm. It's only 8% are, are perturbed as I am by the, this isn't so bad types. Um, well, that's good news for me. Are you one of the, this isn't so bad types? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, I want to be one of those types. I, um, I don't know if you are a fan of Mark Jenkins and the column yes. he, he used to have in Outside Magazine. The it, he was way. the reason I subscribed to that magazine for a long time. His his column, The Hard Way, was incredibly great reading, right? Yeah. And he, in one uh, column, and I wish I knew, if I wish I could remember and quote it. I did a little bit of searching and just couldn't find the quote. But he talks about the kinds of companions that one can have when on a rough adventure, when you are truly roughing it. And was that the one in which he completely dismantled the editor of Rock and Ice and called him um, a, a name that we probably shouldn't repeat here? Um, I don't remember him attacking anyone by name in this. I think he was actually talking about someone who was a really boon companion, someone who was oh, fantastic. Okay, okay. That the that the worst kind of companion is what I'm uh, is the people who mutter and mumble and grumble the entire time you're out there. Tolerable companions when you're out doing that kind of thing are the ones who keep their mouths shut. <clears throat> and then the best kind of companion, as far as he's concerned, are people who remain positive in the face of, uh, great discomfort and that those are the kinds of people he loves to be around. And that resonated with me in spite of the fact that I'm definitely of the first type. That is, I tend to grumble a bit when things are going rough. And I also, you know, when I fall on my bike, I yell real loud. In fact, a lot, it, there is a name for it. Uh, people call it the Elden scream. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I, I've separated my shoulder so many times and uh, I've taken a lot of falls. I yell real loud and it helps with the <laughs> pain. Sorry. It's there, there is scientific evidence that yelling helps dissipate pain. But okay. all that said, I also tend to grumble to dissipate my bad mood is kind of where I was going with that. Anyway, I want to be the kind of person who says, well, you know, this isn't so bad and mean it. Um, but I'm not. Uh, so I, I, I resent you 8% <laughs> is my short explanation of my long explanation of my VIQ. Hmm. And that's For whatever reason, when I'm in the company of others, I'm disinclined to complain about the conditions. I, I don't know what it is on my own. I will turn home. I will not go out. I will. I've got all sorts of ways to fold under pressure 
by myself. But if I'm on a ride with friends, um, I'll, you know, I'll just roll along uh, easily enough. I can't say I won't grumble, but I, I won't grumble to other people. The thing I get scared of uh, or concerned about is that there are times when I'll be mumbling to myself and I'll suddenly realize that I'm actually saying stuff and I'm concerned that other people can hear me complaining about how I feel. Oh, did um, I say that out loud? Right, right. Did I use my inside voice or my outside voice? Uh, and uh, I, I mean, I've, I've caught myself dropping very quiet F-bombs just as I'm pedaling along. It's like, <laughs> wow, okay. Um, <laughs> didn't know that was there. Uh, but especially in races, I, you know, the weirder the conditions get in a race, the happier I am. Most of my best race performances came when temperatures were south of 60 degrees and rain was falling. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, where maybe you, it's my Irish blood. Where does your vote go on this one, Hottie? Well, I do pretty terribly in cold rain. My worst races have come probably in cold rain. But I'll, you know, I'll stick it out usually in a cold rain, um, especially if you paid for the race. Um, mm -hmm. or if you get caught in a cold rain, the beautiful thing about Southern California, and I laugh at my buddies around here who purposely go out and ride in the rain is it's really not necessary. You don't have to be out in that stuff. You can avoid it pretty easy. Just ride tomorrow. Like I said at the opening there, it'll clear up in 12 hours. It's just the way yeah. it is around here. So we, we're, we get pretty soft down here in SoCal with the cold rain. <laughs> it, you know, it's pretty easy. I actually, um, I don't want to say like, but. I'm most interested by a hard crosswind, especially in a group ride. To me, that's the ultimate element, the crosswind. I mean, I think it's, I think it's more interesting than hills or sprints or just about any other element you can run into, especially in a group situation. The crosswind is the one where you find out who really has the smarts in the mm -hmm. drops. I mean, who can really figure out where to ride, how to ride it properly, how to, you know, how to line up behind somebody else, when to take a pole, how much pole is too much, um, uh, crosswinds split groups up. I think interesting, wild things happen in crosswinds. And even though it's very difficult riding and hard on you, I think it's also the most interesting riding you can encounter. In fact, uh, give me the Tour de France over a rolling stage or even a flat stage with a good, hard crosswind across the north of France. Those are the best days, I think. On, on television for cycling, to watch those skinny little climbers get shattered all over the road in a crosswind. Um, it or, is sort of satisfying. Yeah, it is. It is pretty. <laughs> it, it's pretty neat to watch the smart guys work that stuff. Suddenly all that Belgian blood comes to the front and those guys really know what to do and, and the, the skinny climbers get, get pounced around real good. Um, as far as talking about, you know, having a reaction to the weather, verbalizing, uh, you know, I'm, I tend to be with Patrick on that. You know, I try to zip it if I'm with a group. Try not to moan and groan too much, you know. I mean, you volunteered for this stuff, right? You're out there. You're in it. You don't have to share your misery with other people. They can tell by looking at you. Oh, that guy's, you know, <laughs> scowl on his face, grime in his eyes. You know. You know what he's going through, so. Or she. So, so it sounds like we all agree then that I would be the worst person to ride with in bad weather. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just having to take it on your word, and that seems like an e extremely suspect thing. First, I can't trust your word as it is, and now you're telling me to trust that you're the worst possible companion I could have. Out of that the three of us, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, you know what, I'll have to say, the week, the week at Leadville, when I was wringing my hands over the weather, and it was kind of screwy that whole week— you were calm and given into it. So I don't know. You seem to be yeah, okay with it. That's because I had been there so many times that I didn't, I, I wasn't going to sweat it. If mm. it had really rained on race day, oh, I would have done a little bit of complaining during <laughs> the ride. Okay. Um, and in fact, have done so. Oh, I don't think you knew this, Hottie, but I signed up for Leadville again. No, I did hear about that. I hear you're doing the Breck Epic. Leadville double. Yep. Yep. Um, <sighs> looking Since that's to. a thing now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've done the Leadville Breck double. It seems like I had to do the Breck Leadville double. I see. Do it in reverse. Okay. Uh -huh. And you're uh -huh. doing the six day Breck Epic, correct? Oh, oh yeah. If you're going oh. to be out there, 
do the whole thing. Mm. <laughs> the way I see it. All right. I'm taking this way off topic at this point. Um, well, I do want to ask one question, though, about the results. Um, it seems to me like uh, a wet, slushy road should rank higher, should be more disturbing to people than cold, wet rain. Uh, cold, no, wet rain. That's that's sort of redundant. Mm-hmm. Uh, cold rain. Hmm. I mean, you're going to get just as wet from a slushy road, but traction is much more tenuous there. Why didn't mm-hmm. why didn't that one get a commanding lead over cold rain? Hmm. Well, there was an interesting response in Twitter that may speak to that exactly. This one comes from Dylan White, who said, I wonder what percentage, like me, chose crosswind because we don't ride in cold rain or slush. And uh, I would say, well, yeah, that that is true for me as well. I if it is raining hard, I mean, if I get caught out in rain, you know, I'm going to get back if I get caught out in 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 sleet and it turns to slush then i'll come back and i will ride but i won't start a ride in cold rain i sure won't start a ride in slush if the roads got slush on them that is a recipe for going down and bruising a uh, bruising well ribs and hips very least um so yeah I, i those i just eliminate because i'm never going to actually be on them if i can avoid it hmm Okay. Maybe others think the same thing. I have a certain contractual obligation to go out and review, you know, rain gear. And so I I have of late been going out, you know, as it's raining, I'm not just getting caught in it, but saying, oh, it's raining. I should get ready for my ride now. Hmm. I can't be trusted. <laughs> You're an unreliable weather detector at the very best. Yeah. <laughs> okay so i think maybe now is time to go from weird news to uh an even weirder discussion uh so in two previous uh episodes 13 and was at 49 uh we discussed speed x and their leopard smart bike um and they've gone under and no (laughs) That's astonishing. No, it actually is kind of astonishing. It should be kind of astonishing to some people because the reason we became aware of them at all is because this was the uh, Speed X was well known for having incredibly successful uh, Indiegogo and Kickstarter campaigns. We're talking millions of dollars raised. The most successful Kickstarter campaign for any bike product ever in the history of Kickstarter or the world. Yeah. Yeah. And not just one either. Right. They they had three bikes and then a, a stem slash bike computer integrated component, all of them funded well beyond their objectives. Right. So yeah, multiplicatives. Yeah. Right. Right. They, so there was the you know, to catch people up, there was the stem and they called it the speed force. And that was kind of before they were well known. Um, there was the Leopard, which was their most famous of their bikes. And that was sort of their arrow looking road bike with a built in bike computer and, uh, I think cadence sensor. Um, and then there was their mountain bike that hardly anyone ever became aware of because they were so far behind the ball with that. It was a 26 inch mountain bike (laughs) with like hardly any suspension just you know this this weird little retro mountain bike that they called oh some 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 weird thing i honestly can't remember what they called it i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure it was fantastic um and then uh and then there was the unicorn it was the mustang their mountain bike was called the mustang um and then there was the unicorn and it was the unicorn that truly did wind up being a unicorn, meaning that it more that there were lots of people who paid money for this thing that they never actually received. And uh, now, today, if you go to speedx.com, you will find that the URL doesn't resolve. <laughs> and uh, their Facebook page is super active with people saying, where's my bike? How do I get my money back? And they are not getting answers. That company is gone, and they have taken a lot of people's money with it. What happened here? 
you know, that's the that's the thing that I I don't really know where to point the finger, except for I mean, they were working on a bike share program, mm -hmm. and I can see how the scale of that could sink an operation in a hurry. But with all the money that they'd brought in, you'd think that they were reasonably well funded at that point. Um, they'd had enough success that you know you'd think they'd have substantial uh, credit lines so that you know they they'd be able to weather any sort of bumps in the road or storms they encountered. But yeah, they're gone. And you know, I don't. I'm not big on Schadenfreude. Okay, I don't. I don't like. Celebrating oh, the demise. <laughs> okay, well, I'll I'll leave you to that. You know, I don't I don't want to celebrate their demise, but you know, this is it fits with my opposition to their arrogance. You know, they were like, "We're going to show you how the bike biz ought to be done." All mm -hmm. you guys who've been doing this for 25, 30, 35, 40 years, you all are putzes and don't know what you're doing. We're going to show you how the bike. The, how the bike industry ought to operate. And, you know, here we are, what, 18 months after their launch and they're gone. And it's like, mm -hmm. so who's the stupid one? And I mean, looking past the stupid one is more the jilted ones that is yeah. super unfortunate. Now, when you consider they, they have a bike computer, right, built in that used a proprietary system that relied on their servers. And so suddenly these bike computers that are built into their bikes are truly useless, right? You cannot upload your data to anything. <laughs> it's toast. Wow. Um, a lot of their frames are breaking. And uh, there's a lot of noise and a lot of problems with what was essentially first-generation frames, right? So there's, a, a, and here's where the I told you so part comes in. This is all stuff that we talked about in uh, episode number 13, that building a computer into the bike may not be the best thing, yep. that, um, that it was going to wind up being a heavy bike and a problematic bike. And having all of these electronics built into something gave you br brand new and compounded points of failure. And all of that is happening now, right? Worst is that there are a lot of people who spent thousands of dollars on what they thought was going to be a great deal, but is not a deal at all now. Um, and since there was a lot of leading on, I think for a lot of those people, it's too late for them to make a claim to get uh, their money back from the credit card. So I and I don't know too much about how all of that works, but just from what I've been reading, you know, a lot of these people, their money is well and truly gone. Man, uh, that's yeah, that's a shame. You know, one of the things that also bothers me about this is that, you know, based on my perception, you know, what I was seeing when I looked at, you know, uh, the forum on Facebook, uh, communications elsewhere, it really seemed like they had drawn in a lot of people who weren't already cyclists, people who were kind of yeah. uh, cycling friendly or cycling predisposed, but hadn't weren't already owners of a road bike, didn't already have cycling kits in their closet. And so they were coming into cycling from, you know, wherever else. Mm -hmm. And now they've had this bad experience. And what does that tell them about cycling? Yeah. You know, what what sort of message does that send? Because they're going to see, you know, GT and Trek and Specialized and Giant and Cannondale, all these companies, very likely through the same lens that they see SpeedX. And I, I find that really sad. So where do, I mean, what is the lesson for this one? Because there are going to continue to be Kickstarter campaigns and Indiegogo campaigns and startup bike companies and there should be, right? Our, yeah. our I told you so doesn't have to do with innovation. I think it's more of the opposite, that it is a classic uh, caveat emptor, right? Let the buyer beware. If something seems to be too good to be true, that is, if you think that you 
are going to get a top flight bike for $2,500 and it is going to have a SRAM ETAP uh, drivetrain and disc brakes, there's something that has to give. And well, there will and that's, be problems. That's also part of the problem, you know, with people coming in from, you know, who aren't already cycling enthusiasts. They don't know that you shouldn't be able to get all right. of that for 2500 you know? Um, yeah. And so that's, yeah, it's, uh, but, it's uh, hard. look, you should, when you're going to spend even that kind of money, you've got to use basic consumer instinct. I mean, mm -hmm. look, reputation should be part of what you're looking for when you're shopping for something of anything above what a hundred dollars, $200. I mean, you want to know that whoever built this, made this, shipped it, what, has a reputation in this business and did speed X not really. I mean, I yeah, wouldn't know right. about speed X unless I saw it on my Facebook a couple times and heard about it on the pace line. There's yeah. no way I would plunk down. What were they asking for that bike? How much? Anywhere from 15 to 3000, depending on the build. No right. Way. Yeah. And it, it was so tempting, right? That you were going to get a much better bike on paper for much less money. But like you say, there was no reputation. So whatever your pain threshold is, mm -hmm. you got to make sure that you do the research that you're talking about, Hottie. You know, I, you look and make sure you are getting yeah. something that has a reputation for delivering and delivering well. Yeah, I had a moment like this recently. In fact, I had somebody trying to talk me into an investment thing. And I woke up in the middle of the night and went, what am I doing? I don't know anything about this company I'm about to invest in. And I put the stops on it like right away. Like I stopped a lot of money from flowing from one spot to another because I went, wait a second, use your basic consumer instinct here. Have I ever heard of said company? No. Do I know mm. anything about their board of directors, anything about what they do? Not really. I'm not that familiar with this stuff. Stop. Stop. <laughs> don't do it. Right? <laughs> so reputation, shop for reputation and cross-reference. I mean, okay, so you're interested. Say you go, well, I'm willing to forego the reputation thing. Say, for instance, like it's Allied, right, Patrick? Allied. Here's yep. a new kid on the block. No one's heard of Allied, right? There's really no reputation there. Well, cross-reference then. Who is Tony Carklins? Oh, yep. he ran Orbea USA. Hmm. Yep. Probably knows what he's doing. Yeah, probably. I mean, I bought a Chris Chance recently, right? The guy's yep. been out of the business for, I don't know, 15, 17 years. So maybe if maybe as he's coming back, people would know him. Pretty easy to do though. Google, yep. Chris, Chance, bam, dude knows what he's doing. Okay, so cross reference, reputation, cross reference, mm -hmm. and ask other people who might have had similar experiences or might know something. Mm -hmm. Right? There's yeah. Look for look for other people who might have done some of that research as well. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And if worse comes to worse, here is Patrick's home phone number. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead, give it out. And I, I'm just going to go to ATT and get my number <laughs> changed for this. <laughs> okay, guys. So, I'm a little bit curious about this uh, hottie having mo a lot of money that he can make flow from one place to another. I'd like <laughs> well, to investigate that, that, that a little further. Yeah, yeah. It was maybe, more than maybe... a speed X, but it wasn't that much. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a short break, and when we be get back, we'll be talking about some other uh, less than terrific news. Oh, boy. It's a failure episode of The Pace Line. SpeedX Unicorn is the world's first smart road bike with an integrated power meter, carbon frame, and SRAM ETAP Hydro HC. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a cyclist. And because you're a cyclist, you can save up to 25.5% on your life insurance by purchasing it through Health IQ. In addition to all the usual information you give for insurance, such as age, gender, height, weight, 
and nicotine use. The amount of writing you do each week is considered, and you can take quizzes that may reduce your payments further. It turns out that knowing what it takes to be fit has its own value. Health IQ knows that people who ride have an 18% lower risk of heart disease, a 28% lower risk of overall mortality, and a 45% lower risk of cancer. So drop by healthiq.com forward slash paceline podcast to get your free no obligation quote. And we're back with the pace line. Fatty, hottie, and not Patty. Uh, Patrick. <laughs> See, I keep doing that, and you find are finding that you just almost can't help it. Fatty, hottie, Patty. It just works. You got to embrace it, man. See, if it was P-A-D-D-Y, I could let it slide, because that's okay. the, the Irish diminutive mm-hmm. of Padraig, right? I'm good I with let that. that one, uh, okay, just so long as it's not peppermint patty. Okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, mm-hmm. so we're back with the uh, demise episode, the disaster episode. Uh, and on a more serious note, uh, a company that we all three, I believe, have uh, a great deal of respect for, American Classic, has announced that they're shutting down operations. Uh, Hadi, tell us a little more about that. Well, uh, what they're shutting down is their plant in Taiwan, as I understand it, which is probably where all the wheels are built, and laying off 40 employees. Um, Bill Shook, of course, is the founder of this uh, great company, founded it in 1982 with a seat post and a bottle cage, Um, but of course went on to build uh, some really fantastic wheels, uh, which I hope all of us have ridden. I know I've ridden his wheels. I've owned his wheels, owned a set of his hubs, by the way, that i beat the living snot out of um met the guy once met bill shook great guy lovely guy um shared his time with me and you know maybe that's the issue here now uh, before we move on with with the news item by the way american classic so again 40 employees gone they're gonna they're gonna shut down their plant they're looking to to sell the american classic name to somebody so hopefully the name will live on and of course bill All is the IP. yeah bill is is available for consulting and to do other work but obviously this this looks like the end of a of a great bicycle company but you know back to bill and his personality patrick i mean he was just one of the kind of guys that would share his time maybe he shared too much maybe he wasn't was he? Did he not come across to you as an edgy, tough business type? Was was that the issue? Because in the end, I mean, sales were dropping off. They really couldn't bring revenues to a spot where they could sustain the company. I, you know, I'm not going to theorize that he wasn't savvy enough or tough enough or anything like that. I think it had to do with larger market forces that they didn't have a diverse enough line of components to make them a co- more compelling. Uh, OE spec. You know, they were basically just selling wheels at the OE level, to my knowledge, anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at companies like Trek with Bontrager, uh, Specialized with Roval, mm-hmm. you know, Giant has their own branded stuff. Uh, you know, Scott has their stuff, Synchros. Mm-hmm. Uh, Felt has had their own stuff. So most, most big, bigger bike companies out there have their own branded lines of components. And so for OE managers, uh, you've got to have a pretty compelling reason to, to sell your stuff to them and get onto bikes in today's market, because so much is being done on the bikes and bikes aren't being customized to the same degree that they once were. Uh, it's, it's become a much tougher market for a company like American Classic to survive. Yeah, which left them competing with the Mavics and Envies and all the other wheel makers out there. And, and a lot of those companies had really pushed the envelope. And it mm-hmm. seemed like just American Classic was just caught out, you know, kind of caught between the two worlds of being OE or being, you know, your next great wheel set, you know, for, for the enthusiast. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing to point out that, you know— it, Aerodynamics, you know, making a great hub isn't the be all end all that it once was. I mean, there was a time when I first got into cycling where, you know, if you had a wheel set with high E or American Classic 
or Philwood Hubs, you know, people would kind of bow down and go, wow, mm-hmm. you, you've really got something cool there. Uh, most of the rims back then were, you know, mostly not very good and some were marginally pretty good, at least by today's standards. And yet you think about it now and you've got, you know, incredible aerodynamic work coming out of Envy and Zip and, you know, even other companies are catching up to them. Easton's been doing some great work. And so unless you are pouring incredible amounts of engineering into your rim design, it's going to be hard to distinguish yourself. Yeah. Well, and a great name too, American Classic. The he had that American name out there, we're going to be missing. Yeah. Uh, we're going to yeah. be missing that product, I think, eventually. Maybe you should buy that hottie. American Maybe Classic. Yeah, send some of that big money flow it over <laughs> okay. in that direction. Again, I would use my consumer <laughs> instinct. What do I know about wheels? I mean, I know a little bit about American Classic, but what do I know there about making? Can. I don't know anything. Bad idea. How hard can it be? They're circles. <laughs> Spokes. Yeah. You, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, the pun line. Oh, wow. <laughs> the podcast yeah. on two wheels. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> hey, it's not the failure episode for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving right along. Right. Uh, Hadi, you said that Peter Sagan has been doing a little traveling. Yeah, here's our uh, our nice little news segment, guys. And we're going to start with uh, Peter Sagan. Uh, how do you figure one gets a blessing from the Pope? Well, in, in Peter's case, uh, he is going to the Vatican here soon. Uh, he, his wife, and his new son, Marlon, are going to uh, visit the Vatican. Uh, in like, fact, like Brando? Yeah. Marlon is like Marlon Brando? Sagan. Not Brand, not quite Brand, Brando. Okay. Marlon's gone. Uh, they are going to the Vatican, and uh, Peter is hoping that he can have his son baptized by the Pope. Now, this visit was reportedly arranged by Volkswagen Italia, the car brand which has links with Specialized, the bike sponsor of Sagan's uh, bike team. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah, I know. That's pretty cool. So he's hoping, you know, he's going to get there. He's going to see the Pope. Hey, Pope. Can you bust my son? That would be pretty neat. You know, I figured while he's at it, maybe Sagan could get his bike blessed because after his Tour de Vatican, he's off to Omlupet Newswald to start his uh, Spring Classic campaign. So, you know, a little bike blessing, get things going, get things off on the right foot for Peter for uh, 2018. Um, You know, we don't don't talk much about a higher power on the show. Maybe that's a good thing. But do you guys wear any... Any religious symbols, any blessings for yourselves before you take off on a ride or a race or an epic? I am jewelry free. Hmm. I have a titanium wedding ring, uh, <laughs> and that's doubly symbolic. Um, been a big fan of titanium for a long time uh, mm-hmm. because of bikes. Uh, but also, you know, wedding ring, it's, it, it, it matters to me. So, yeah, I, I don't take that off to ride. So that would be your, your charm, the kind of the thing looking over you. Okay. I actually, I wear, and look, I, I was a raised Catholic, married in the Catholic Church. I've been to the Madonna del Gisalo. Um, and my, you know, Veronica, my wife, Mrs. Hottie, she uh, is, is still pretty close to the church. And and one thing that she, I know, makes her feel better that I wear it, I wear a little uh, St. Christopher medallion, which is the oh, patron cool. saint of travelers. Um, so I wear that... Um, Pretty much on every ride, unless I forget to pull it over. But um, that is usually hanging around my neck for rides. Um, so wait, you only wear it when you're riding? Uh, when I'm traveling. So if I get in the car, I usually have okay. it on too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's my little charm that I wear, my little way. That's a nice tradition. It I is. Like that. And, you know, I think uh, Mrs. Hottie feels uh, better for it too, so. It's nice. Hey, if it matters to her, that's does. all the reason well, in the world to it's do like it wearing in addition a, to others. Yeah, right? it's like wearing a titanium wedding ring. See, I stopped wearing a wedding ring because I heard too many horror stories of people snagging them during rides. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you guys know that I always wear full-fingered gloves, so uh, that my, my ring's not going to get snagged. Ah, uh, okay. So. Uh, other news. Uh, Oregon Bike Shops kicked off the new year by collecting that new bike tax. It's 15 bucks per bike. The tax applies to sales of new bikes with 26-inch or larger wheels, so like adult bikes, and the bikes have to be at least $200. 
the tax expected to raise $1.2 million for 2018. Oregon, of course, there's no regular sales tax, so many bike retailers are unaccustomed to collecting a tax. The new tax was included in a $5.3 billion state transportation bill that passed uh, the legislature earlier in the year. Bike shop owners are hopeful that the tax will deliver on its promise to funnel more money to bike infrastructure. Now, would 15 bucks deter you, Fatty, from buying a bike? No, I think, in fact, there might be a little bit of a halo effect, knowing that when I buy something for myself, that a little bit of that money is also going to bike infrastructure for the area that I live. I'd be absolutely cool with that. If uh, if I were confident, as you were saying, that the money is actually going to be used that way. Yeah, I mean, that's probably why they've couched all this. We're hopeful. Sure. This is, you know, this is going to the right place. Um, but geez, Patrick, we just talked about, you know, the, the industry struggling away. I mean, it seems like a bad way to, to treat the industry. Say, here, collect a tax for us. You know, the retailers in Oregon pushed back against this as hard as they could. There was a big effort afoot to try to put this down, and they were uh, very disappointed when it did pass. I think it's good that it's only on bikes with at least 26-inch wheels or larger, because uh, if you were to tack on 15 bucks to the price of a kid's bike from a mass merchant, um, you know, that could be increasing the cost of the bike by what, 20% maybe in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it really would have an effect there, but that does raise the one question that I have about it, that I haven't been clear from the things that I've read. Is this strictly a bike shop thing or will the mass merchants have to do this as well? If they sell a bike that's over 200 bucks. Right. You know, I, I deal with some online retailers. Well, I just, I did buy a bike out of Oregon, but I bought it last year. My fat chance came out of Oregon, so I wasn't hit with the fee. I'm wondering, yeah, that would be an interesting note. See if, you know, you order something or um, the larger online retailers are subject to the same thing. Oh, well, I'm not I'm not clear on there being any online retailers based in Oregon. So that's not much of a question in my head. But I'm thinking about people who are buying, you know, mountain bikes uh, at mass merchant retailers, you know, there's stuff that's definitely in the $250, $300 range. And I wonder what it will do to their thinking. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know how many of them are going to be really that savvy a shopper if they're busy looking at a mass merchant retailer Mm. in the first place. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it's a pretty regressive tax. I don't like it. Uh, although I'm all for funding bicycle infrastructure, I just think there are other smarter ways to do yeah, it. Yeah, I tend to agree. Why, why pick on the, the struggling retailer, you know, the, the group of people, the group of merchants who are already, you know, dealing with a lot. And then you throw this at them as well. It's kind of a tough one. So, all right, guys, that's our news for this, uh, for show 98. Well, there's one other thing that I've got. And so CES is going on right now in Las Vegas, uh, the Consumer Electronics Show. And Trek and Ford and another company called Tome have teamed up to announce uh, a communication system that's uh, cellularly based and it's vehicle to anything nearby. And it's funny because, I mean, maybe if I was there at CES, I'd have a better feel for what it's supposed to do. But I got the press release about it and I've seen some stories about it. The idea is that uh, it will use cell phones to communicate with other devices in the area as sort of an early warning system to alert uh, alert drivers of vehicles to pedestrians and bikes and roadside infrastructure, even traffic signs and construction zones. Um, just how it does the actual communication. I mean, I get the technology that underlies it. That That's, you know, no great surprise, no great mystery. But how does it communicate? Are you getting a beep? Uh, are you getting a flashing light? What's it do to let you know? And how much advanced warning do you get? And does it do anything to really help you understand where that thing is relative to you? I mean, if a klaxon just starts going off in your car, that's, you know, it's like, what the hell? You're going to yeah. scare me? I'm going to drive into the K-rail. K um, so, I, you know, there's a, I've got a whole lot of questions about this. Uh, and I really don't know 
just how great it's going to be. It's it, it, right now. It sounds like more vaporware than anything, um, and that sort of scares me. Um, Fatty, since you are much more in the realm of the electronics world than either Hadi or me, have you read up on this at all? Do you know much about it? I have not read about it and am hearing about it right now in real time for the first <laughs> time ever. Um, that said, I have a similar but more useful idea. How about this? Every time a car goes by a pedestrian or cyclist, that car's uh, license plate number momentarily get uh, or gets logged on the pedestrians or cyclists phone as they go by so that if they are cut off or yelled at or honked at or otherwise uh, otherwise intimidated or hurt by that vehicle, then you have their information already. Uh, I, wow, that's that's tremendous. I like that idea. I mean, that that's same technology, get... but actually useful. And yeah. and if uh, w one minute, if you are still in motion, it gets purged. In fact, it doesn't even have to. Sh it can't. E it doesn't even have to be user readable. It could be something that can only be uh, found by police. Hmm. Uh, you you may have a business there. <laughs> so I may have a an individual rights problem there. Right. That I mean, I'm thinking the, uh, immediately. <laughs> I'm thinking of the ACLU and uh, their uh -huh. lawyers and how they would flip out about that. Yeah. Um, they yeah, probably there's would. no way that would ever work, but I can dream, right? <laughs> yeah. It's publicly available information. I mean, you can see it on the car as it passes. Yeah, no, that's what I. That's what I'm struggling with. I mean, the problem mm -hmm. not is the seeing it; it's the storing it. I think. I think that's where you'd run into problems. That's still in public. You could photograph the the, uh, the license plate. I copy that. But if it's if it's only available to law enforcement, that's where civil libertarians get a little worked up. Interesting. Yeah, I, I obviously haven't thought this through completely. <laughs> but you got. To I think admit. it's worth thinking through. I'm, more. I'm not I saying, like uh, Patrick. I'm not. I'm not saying. That, you know, indeed there is legal grounds there. I don't know that for sure. I'm just raising the question. That's all. I've, yeah. I've dealt with the I've dealt with the ACLU enough to know how they kind of examine things and would go. They are a little allergic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like them, but yeah, they're they're a little allergic. Um, yeah, I, I totally derailed the conversation. <laughs> the demise episode. Come on. We're going uh -huh. down. We're going down with the podcast. Well, at uh, least we can count on you for something. Yes. <laughs> you can always rely on me to s talk about something other than what the topic at hand is. Oh, thank God. I, you know, I need reliability in my life. <laughs> okay. So, you, man. yeah. Uh, all right. On to baseline picks. Um, Fatty, you go first. Okay. My baseline pick is frame set unboxing. I recently took delivery of two uh, S-Work, S, uh, specialized S-Works epic frame sets, one for me, one for my wife, and it is such a joy to see your frame for the first time. Um, what is interesting or was interesting for both of these is how much different the paint looks in real life than it did yeah. in the um, on, on the website. Uh, the for myself, I got the gloss acid mint slash cosmic black slash hyper green yes frame set, and it looks pretty. I, I thought that looks pretty cool when I was looking at it on the site. It looks like three times cooler in real life with a cool metallic flake and a really deep gloss to it. Oh, it's just so great to see. But, and then your pick isn't how cool the frame looks. It's the packaging. It's right? the cardboard. Did I get that right? It's the brown. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it's the opening and seeing it for the first time. It is taking it out of that box oh. and going, wow, the moment of seeing your bike for the first time. It's just awesome. Uh, same kind of thing for my wife's bike, which is the uh, satin gloss rocket red 
slash black. Uh, I expected sort of a deep gloss to it because apparently I never saw the word satin in satin gloss rocket red. And it is, it's a very matte looking uh, red and it looks really cool. So different than what I expected in both cases, really beautiful in both cases. And it's just always fun to unbox a bike. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with you there. The last time I opened a box and, and got a look at a, a cool paint job for the first time, I, I couldn't get it unwrapped quickly enough. So yeah, with you there. Um, all right. Hottie. What's up with you? Yes, sir. Uh, a few of you might be aware that in addition to recording this fine podcast and occasionally depositing a review piece on the pages of Ray Kai Prayer, I also get hired out to write for a national magazine, Triathlete Mag, no less, even though I do not swim, nor do I run, at least not all on the same day. But the good people at Triathlete think enough of my skills to lay the occasional freelance article on me, and for that, I thank them. One in particular I've done now for the second time is a luggage review. Triathlete assigned me to pack and write about four bike travel cases. Yes, all the joys of breaking down a bike and putting it in a case, yet going nowhere. I mean, I get why they farm out this job. Who wants to pack their bike four times and not get on a plane with it? But what the hell? I like them and they pay and it gets my name out there. So look for my pieces sometime in 2018. Speaking of traveling, I've been doing a fair bit recently, as evidenced by my absence from the pace line. I've been shuttling back and forth from Northern California. My father has not been well. It's his heart. Over Christmas, he had open heart surgery. And when your father is about to have his chest cut open, well, you make plans to be there. And I was. My father's surgery was on a Wednesday, and the surgeon said it would take up to five hours. They would harvest a vein from his leg, maybe an arm, and bypass the calcified passages around his heart while a machine did his breathing and pumping. This is an amazing and difficult operation that takes skill, precision, teamwork, expertise, and care. I mean, could you imagine cutting a person open and putting your hands on their heart? Hell no. I mean, putting on a Band-Aid trips me up. My father went into surgery about 7.30 in the morning. Amazingly, we were allowed to be with him just outside the operating room in the minutes leading up. And when they wheeled him away, my mother, my sisters, and I, we retreated to the lobby, not knowing what would happen. Now, how do you pass five hours of uncertainty, of worry, of anxiety? We were told we would get updates from the operating room, and we did. The operating nurse called three times to tell us things were going great. But still, you're on edge. You need to pass the time. A diversion, maybe. Mine? <laughs> My luggage review, of course. My dad was on the operating table, and I was on deadline. I had uh, one piece left on my bike case review assignment. Do a head-to-head -head matchup of the best two cases. It was like 500 words at best. So after a quick snack, I opened my laptop and got writing. Now, I'm an okay writer. Pretty good with words, kind of slow putting them together, but I get the job done, and hey, this was just a few paragraphs. I was plodding along, going over my notes, writing and rewriting. About an hour in, my mom's cell phone rang, and I stopped to listen to her receive the news that my father was doing fine and that they would call a little later. More writing, some struggling. I wanted to say so much about these cases, how they rolled, how they zipped up, how they got past TSA. Then another call came. More good news. Dad doing great. Back to my keyboard. I plunked along until I heard the cell phone ring again, and again, it was a thumbs up from the operating room. I'm getting close to wrapping up my piece when we get a fourth call. My mother is told the surgery is finishing up. They would be taking my father to ICU and the surgeon would be out in 30 minutes to talk to us. Two thoughts overcame me, relief and disbelief. In that moment, I am overjoyed that my father has made it through. But I'm also blown away by the fact that in the time it took a man to open up my father and fix his most vital organ, I could barely finish a single-page article. Wow. <laughs> Surgeons are amazing. Dr. Ramesh Varangdam, or Dr. V, as he is known to his staff and patients, he is that amazing person. Meeting the man who's touched your father's heart is surreal. And he doesn't take that lightly. The doctor doesn't, that is. We thanked him, and we were told we could see my father shortly. I closed my laptop and smiled. When my father came to, he said something to me I will never forget. He said it is strange 
To put your life in the hands of someone you hardly know. Yes, it must be. But if you have to, I hope you have someone as fabulous as Dr. V. I don't know if he could pack a bicycle into a Thule or an Evoc case, and I don't care. In my book, he's a pace line pick 20 times over. Wow. Uh, well, cheers to your dad. I'm glad to hear that uh, that he's come out of the surgery. Yeah. Uh, how many days ago was the surgery at this point? Oh, it was the week of Christmas. So it was two days. I think it was two days after Christmas, the 27th. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's, he's, doing, he's about- doing great. Yeah. Excellent. Up and he doesn't belong this in this episode at all. <laughs> That's right. What did he do? I just he thought the doctor. I thought the. I couldn't believe how quickly such a major surgery could move along. You know, you think about what's being done to a human being, and bam, the guy comes out, and he you know, this the surgeon emerges, and he says, "Hey, everything went." And then he went on to do his regular business of the day. I thought, wow, that's. What do I do? I don't do anything. That guy's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank heaven for expertise, huh? Yep. Yeah, cool. All righty. So uh, mine, a little less dramatic and not really very failure-y. Um, so of late, I've been working on a review of three different Castelli pieces. The Profetto Long Sleeve, the Gabba 3, and the Profetto Light 2. So the Long Sleeve, this is what used to be the long sleeve GABA, the the terrific, you know, jersey for wearing in the cold and rain so that you've got, you know, one jersey on and not, you know, jersey plus jacket plus whatever else. Um, and so they've changed the name of that. Uh, it still works. You know, it's basically the same exact garment. It's for, you know, kind of low 40s to high 50s. Um, the GABA 3, uh, they've decided to reserve the GABA name for just that uh, that short sleeve rain piece. So this is good for roughly 50 degrees to 64 degrees. And then the Perfetto Light 2 is a short sleeve version of the Perfetto, but it's for slightly warmer conditions than the GABA 3. They say 50, but they also say up to 68 degrees. Um, Last week, uh, it was raining, and it was reasonably warm for rain in Northern California, which is to say it was 60 degrees. And I went out for a hard ride by myself, road ride, and was wearing the Profetto. It wasn't a heavy rain, but it was rain. And I thought, you know, I'm going to warm up, so I'm, I'm just going to wear the Profetto. I'm going to do a base later under it, and no arm warmers. And just see how this works out. See if I'm going to be, you know, warm and comfortable with this thing on. And guys, I was pretty blown away. I really thought that I was going to get back home chilled and just wanted to climb in the shower and stay in the shower. Um, I have been known to sometimes take half hour showers after an especially cold, wet ride. Um, But that's because I've got a bottomless hot water heater here in our building. Um, And I, you know... This thing worked remarkably well. Uh, It comes in four different colors. I like both the red and the orange a whole lot. I'm a little tired of fluorescent yellow. Um, You know, black and dark blue, not, uh, yeah, sorry, five colors. But yeah, those darker colors, not much to my liking. But that red is brilliant and really pops. And for this time of year, when I'm encountering a lot more rain, hopefully we're not going to have another record-breaking winter of rain for Santa Rosa. Um, You know, it's nice to have a a fresh alternative uh, to that, and especially as I'm starting to ramp up my intensity some after having taken a pretty easy fall. Um, So my pick, the Perfetto Light 2, which goes for $149.99. Um, and also comes in six sizes, I should, I should mention. Uh, so, you know, for guys kind of, no matter what size you are, they've got a size that'll fit you. So pretty neat piece of gear. I like it a lot. And I'm, I'm just strange enough that I'm almost looking forward to wearing it again. (laughs) Maybe the ultimate endorsement too, is when the GABA first came out, all the pro riders who were not sponsored by Castelli were seen wearing that garment on television on rainy stages. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's how good it is. 
yeah, they were like, oh, who cares about the sponsor? Yeah. Forget them. I'm, I need to live through the stage or the race. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was, that was certainly the, the testimonial that put it on my radar. Um, okay. So, uh, one, one little detail also having to do with, uh, cold, wet weather. Um, I've just reviewed the, uh, seal skins, all weather cycling glove. And it's, um, a piece that's sort of unusual to me in that it's a pair of gloves that actually allows me to competently operate a DI2 shifter hmm. without constant fumbling and correction of, of, you know, missed shifts and whatnot. It's got just enough dexterity that I'm pretty comfortable riding a bike with DI2. And, uh, I can't think of another glove that I've ever worn that was waterproof, windproof and still left me enough dexterity that I felt like I could uh, get a shift correct on DI2 other than accidentally. So check that out. All righty. Well, I guess that's it for another show. Um, if you haven't been to iTunes to rate and review us, uh, we hope you'll at least consider that. Um, and uh, we also hope that you'll say something nice, but we accept <laughs> that it may not be the case. Um, and if you've already been by and done that, thanks. Uh, we owe you a poll. So for Fatty and Hottie, I guess I'm Patty, and this is the Pace Line. It's all the whiskey and cigarettes that Hottie's got me on. Yes, cigarettes <laughs> and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs>